Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Nashville, it's time for Nashville Business Radio. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Nashville Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and I've been looking forward to this one for some time. Uh, We've got two great guests with us today, Brandy Bruns and Courtney Wheeler. And they are principals at the Bruns Wheeler Group. Brandy, Courtney, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. So let's talk about the Bruns Wheeler Group and how y'all are serving folks out there. Okay. Uh, well, I can start us off. Um, sure. We started the Bruns Wheeler Group two years ago. Um, Courtney and I were both coming off of a statewide campaign and trying to figure out how we were going to put um, our skills to, to work and found pretty quickly that there is a need for um, people who can help a company, an organization, or a campaign start up. So the short version is we help people get going. We help you launch. And um, we started this two years ago. We've worked with a number of political campaigns to help candidates who want to run for office launch their campaigns. Um, We've worked with nonprofits who want to get started. Um, They have a great idea and a great mission, but they don't know where to start first. And then we've worked with some great corporate clients, um, specifically with community engagement and growing their footprint in the community. So that is how we got started two years ago. And it's been it's been really exciting. Now, Let's talk about the electoral side because I know that's that's part of the where you've got a lot of uh, your early success with your company is on that side. What are some of the biggest uh, issues you see with someone who comes to you and wants to run for elected elected office? I mean, what are some of the biggest fixes you have to have to engage in? So I'll grab this one and and also want to say thank you so much for inviting us on your show. We're really excited to be here and really appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit about Friends Wheeler Group. Thank you. Um, So, uh, you know, I think the biggest issue for most, and this is a common thread through so many different entities, including electoral and candidates, but, you know, oftentimes they ask the question about where they start, where they start on how to form the organization, where they start on how to start thinking about their voter contact and engagement strategies and where they start and how they fundraise. Um, and one of the things we learned and one of the pain points we started seeing in our community and then sort of we were then helping nationally in some instances is that that's true of a lot of people. Um, they have a great idea. They have a great opportunity ahead of them. And how do they set up the organization? How do they file their paperwork? How do they think about their bylaws and their mission? So we saw that common thread through a lot of different entities. So it, it, is messaging a problem for a, an electoral candidate? I mean, it, Maybe they talk a little bit more about themselves than what the message that resonates with with uh, the uh, part of the vote, voting populace they're trying to reach. Is that part of the problem? I, I can I can jump in and yeah. Courtney can fill in what I've left out. Yeah. Yes, um, we yes, messaging is an issue that um, candidates need to know very succinctly why they're running and get that message out to the voters. Um, So, as Courtney said, we start from 
ground zero with a lot of people um, and put those processes and those procedures in place that help them have an effective and efficient campaign, um, both in raising the money they need to hit their budget to voter contact and um, and how they're speaking to people. And so we've we've worked quite a bit with people on their their messages of how they're presenting themselves. And, and to say, you know, a lot of candidates, as well as, you know, people who are starting up nonprofits, they already have an idea about why they're doing it. They come to the table with a general, you know, thought about all of it. And what we really do in the art of what we do on the messaging front, it's different in each different bucket that we work in. But on the messaging front, it's more about honing um, what that message is and how to say it, you know, repetitively <laughs> over and over again so that it connects uh, with a voter or, you know, a citizen or whatever the case may be, um, and then developing a strategy around that message. But it's always driven by the client. It's always, they always come to the table with, with the idea and the content. I mean, they oftentimes in candidates, they know why they're running. Um, and in nonprofit, they know why they want to get started. It's more just about the art of framing it up and then serving it out so that people can consume that that information easily and meeting people where they are is another big part of it. Yeah, because you can, I mean, it's nice that you come with a a philosophy, a particular issue or, you know, know, an agenda and all that's great. But if you're not touching the heart and soul of either the voter or the customer or the donor is in the case of a uh, nonprofit. Um, it doesn't matter whether they agree with you or not. You may not get the mess that you, you may not make that connection. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, you, you've, you've done a lot of electoral work. What kind of, candidates do you typically work with? Are they local, state? What Talk a little bit about that. Um, historically, I will say that we have both worked across across the spectrum, local, state, and federal candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, during our work with BWG, I think the same is, is fair. We've worked with judicial candidates. We've worked with candidates running for state legislature, and then some candidates on the national spectrum as well. Okay. So we we've covered it all. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. And um uh I guess what's the I want to get to the your work with businesses and 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 nonprofits, but what what advice do you give to someone who's thinking about running for elected office? Uh they've got a lot of passion, but they may not know what they're in for. Tell them what they're in for. So actually, the first question I always ask is, why are they running and why do they want to do it? Mm. Because oftentimes you can get to the core of the office they are seeking and all that if you ask those very basic questions up front. Um, And then we actually talk through all the components of what you need to think about when you're starting up, like how much does a race cost? How much, um, how many voters are we talking about that you have to communicate with? Because that's very different in a school board race than it is in a presidential race, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, and then you always ask them, like, you know, at the end of the day, what do you see as success when you're in this office? 
Um, and that can, you know, that then starts helping us develop a message with them. It helps us start thinking through that. Um, and then, you know, we always give them the, uh, it's very public conversation. So for some people who maybe have been in private um, work or business or law practice, when they jump into the political environment, it becomes a very public environment for them. And that is also something that I think people need to mentally prepare for. So we have, we have actually a little startup um, that we provide people um, just a, it's like a two pager. And we say, these are the things you should think about if you're going to run for office or if you're starting a nonprofit. So there's a lot of common threats there. And how, how far in advance of the election should someone be in touch with you? Well, that depends on what office they're running for and what the restrictions are around the office that they're seeking. So I think something that a lot of people wouldn't know um, that we have seen coming up this year is um, candidates that are going to run for judicial office in 2022 cannot start. They have a certain time limit with the, within which they can start. So they cannot start campaigning more than 12 months ahead of the election date. So mm. those candidates would be starting in May. Um, but if you're running for a bigger office or a statewide office, you need more lead time, you need more runway time, for lack of a better um, word, you would want to start ahead of that so that you have more time and space to build the foundation, talk to voters, raise the money, get that message out there. Terrific. So Folks, can, yeah, go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, bigger races can take, you know, two years prior to election date. Got it. Got it. Uh, folks, we're here chatting with Brandy Bruns and uh, Courtney Wheeler, and they're with the Bruns Wheeler Group. So we were talking a little bit before we came on the air about the, the commonalities that exist between uh, electoral candidates and, and then elected officials and nonprofits and businesses. And there's some common threads there that lead you into the your increasing work with nonprofits and businesses. Talk about those. Well, I'll grab that one. And then um, a lot of what Brandy does also translates uh, very directly between them. But if you are a nonprofit and you have the idea and you're getting ready to start, um, you'll need a budget. You'll need to think through your fundraising plan, a development plan, um, and then how you engage people in the conversation. That is almost exactly the same thing that you think about when you start a campaign. So how do I start fundraising? How do I um, get my message out to voters? And how do I engage people and meet them where they are in my campaign? Um, so when we started seeing those common threads and Brandy's experience and specifically in the fundraising and development world um, is is very, very much sort of similar uh, when it comes to that fundraising piece. Um, and I don't know, Brandy, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've, I've been a fundraiser in the nonprofit space um, and been on some incredible teams, and I've been a fundraiser for political campaigns. And sort of the commonality, and Courtney's heard me say this a million times, like fundraising is a team sport. So who are you bringing to the table? Who is invested in your mission or your campaign? Um, who is there to help you build and grow and stretch outside of your initial plan? And it's a process. And it's, it's it, like she said, it's a plan. You write it out. You figure out what's working. 
you bring the right people to the table and you find the people that are, you know, the early adopters to your idea, or your campaign, and you get them involved and engaged. Um, and then you hit a point, I will say that we had a great conversation with a nonprofit this week that they've hit a, a great point. They're a few years in, but they need to grow. And the things that they've done to get them to, you know, five or six years in are not the same things they'll need to do to get them into the next five and six years. So what does that look like? And how do you change that plan? And who else do you need to bring to the table to talk about your mission and your goals? And how do you expand your mission to reach more people to, to fulfill that mission more thoroughly? And so it's really exciting. And it's it's been kind of a fun way for us to take all the things that we've done on these campaigns for decades and put them to work for clients who aren't necessarily seeking elected office. That makes perfect sense. And, and again, um, uh, I guess passion and I, I, if you excuse the term, the heart has, has a lot to do with this, right? I mean, uh, it's true in political in politics, uh, and getting people to move there. And it's certainly true in the nonprofit space, right? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we have both had a, 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 histori- a career history that has been based in being mission-driven more than anything else. You believe in the candidate, you believe in the cause, mm-hmm. um, and that's sort of why we show up to do the work that we do. So what, what, talk about the profile of the of the kind of nonprofit that's a, a good fit for you. Is it is it a, a, a newer nonprofit? Is it someone that's been around a while and maybe they're stuck in their messaging or their mission, or maybe both, what to talk about the those clients that are best fits. Well, I would probably say both in that instance, but I think ideally, um, let's say you're, you know, in the in the idea phase. You have this idea that you want to do a nonprofit that is specific to maybe literature or literacy or. Um, Maybe it's reaching out to women on healthcare, um, but you don't quite know much more than that. You just want to do that. Um, and you want to talk to somebody, brainstorm, throw ideas out, and then think through the process of what a first year would look like, what a budget would look like, what paperwork you would need to file, what your board might look like, who you should have on your board and thinking about that. Um, and then, you know, the plan to actually get the engagement side of that and the development side of that worked out for the first year. So that's the perfect place where we would come in in that first year, help them um, set everything up. And then ideally, the perfect scenario is that you then hire full time staff and we turn it back over. And that's ideally the perfect scenario. And then if, of course, you are that nonprofit who's had those first three years and maybe you've hit a rut and just want some fresh ideas or um, maybe you need to grow your community engagement side of things. Maybe you need to think about how to be connected up as a community partner. Um, We're also very much, um, you know, engaged in that side of things as well. So I would say that it's actually kind of both, but those are the ideal scenarios for Brunswick Group. Makes sense. Now, I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, there are a lot of folks that maybe are looking at the nonprofit world as a second stage of their career, right? They've retired, they've uh, maybe 
cashed out a company or something like that. They've got a cause they're passionate about. They want to create a nonprofit. Something tells me, and I may be wrong, but that they think we're opening and, uh, and starting a nonprofit is a lot easier than starting a company. Um, and something tells you're going to, I think you're about to tell me nothing could be further from the truth. I will gladly tell you that nothing is further <laughs> from the truth. Um, I've worked for some pretty big nonprofits and, and we've had wonderful volunteers that have come in as, and this was when I was on staff, but as board members and volunteers, and there is a misconception that it's easier. Um, I went to business school here in Nashville a few years ago and had a very enlightening conversation. It was enlightening for me. I hope it was the other side of it where sort of the same idea was presented that nonprofits are easier. You know, you're not worrying about like your profit margin or something. And I said, yeah, but you also aren't selling a product. Like there is the revenue that is coming in is revenue that you raise. And if you can't convince people that, your mission is worthy of their investment because it is an investment in a cause or a candidate mission, then you can't fulfill your budget. So it's just as complicated, if not sometimes more so because there's a lot of moving pieces on the inside of a nonprofit and you have a board and they all have opinions and they want things done a certain way. And it's, it is, uh, there's a lot of relationship management that goes on in a nonprofit that I don't think people realize from the outside. It is just as complicated as any other business piece to it. Uh, for sure. Particularly if you've got your board set up the right way, right? And you've got the mm -hmm. right kind of board. And talk about what I'm getting at there. I'm, and, and what I mean by, by that is if, if you're someone who's started a nonprofit as it, because it's your cause, it, it's not just about you. It's, you've got to have a board that supports your work. So talk about what makes an effective nonprofit board that you have to set up. You need, you need a, a board component that is, they're not only believing in you and your mission, um, but they're invested in it. They might be a donor to that organization, but they're also helping you connect in the community and more broadly to bring more people to the table and make sure that people are aware that you exist, that you are doing good work in the community. And so a lot of it is, some stuff we've already talked about, how are you growing your development plan? How are you growing your community engagement? But all of those board members should be bringing that to the table as well and helping to amplify the message of your, of your nonprofit, especially if you're new in town, because there are a lot of people that are out there doing good work. And, and I would say too, you know, um, sort of the way I view organizing in um, campaigns is everybody who comes to the table has a different network. And you have to think about, okay, I come with one network. As you start thinking about what your nonprofit does and you start thinking about who you need to engage to really grow your nonprofit, start thinking about the kinds of relationships and entities that you would need to engage in your nonprofit. And then start thinking about the people that have influence in all of those different networks. If it's fundraising and development, then you need to think about that type of stuff. If it's somebody who's thinking more about um, wanting to be in the space of um, homelessness and solving that problem, um, who's already doing some work in that? Um, who has connections in those different communities and those organizing spaces? 
So I think a good a good nonprofit and a good board, your board members bring different networks into the fold. And then one other thing I just wanted to add to the conversation about, um, I am an attorney, but um, I say that I happen to be an attorney, yet, but I do campaigns um, and engagement work. But one of the things I always think about when people say that a nonprofit is easier to start up is, I mean, a nonprofit is really just a tax status. It's a C3 tax status that you file with the IRS you're still creating an entity under the law. You're still creating some type of entity, whether that's a corporation or whatever it is, you're just a corporation that doesn't have a profit or you're just an entity that doesn't. So so you still have to go through the process of filing with the state. You have to do all those sorts of things. Um, so I always find it really interesting when people say, oh, a nonprofit is so much easier to fight. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, you still have to do a lot of the same stuff. You just have the extra step of, filing with the IRS. So it's, um, it's always interesting to me. Well, and to get, get specific, a nonprofit does not pay taxes. That's it. Right. I mean, that's pretty much it. And, and, um, I'm sure there's some, a few other small nuances, but that's basically mm-hmm. it. And in truth, a nonprofit has to turn a profit most years in order to like survive. Right. I mean, you have to, yes. you have to bring in more than you spend. You have to have revenue coming in to survive as a nonprofit. You have to pay your staff. You have to pay, you know, for all of the other kind of administrative things that would happen. If you if you have a brick and mortar space, you have rent and utilities and all the other same things that you would have. But yeah, you, if you are going to grow and if you're going to be pushing and, and getting that mission out into the community, you need people to help you do it. For and sure. it can't be all volunteers. For sure. Now, now, one thing, another commonality here, it seems to me, is um, succession planning. So if you're a um, business owner, let's say, um, you have to make plans to when your business is, you retire or you want to sell the business or you have to make plans on that. If you start a nonprofit and care about that cause, right, you want that uh, entity you've, you've set up, as you put it, Courtney, to continue. So that's part of what you help nonprofits with, I'd imagine. I think so. I think that that is a lot more on the back end of it. We're probably a little bit more on the front end, Mm -hmm. but definitely in terms of thinking through how do you sustain an organization or how do you build the type of strategic planning so that you can survive different things that happen. I mean, look at last year, what a bizarre year, you know, if you were starting a nonprofit, we started a business and a pandemic hit. So, I mean, it just, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So if you build a good strategic plan, you have a good mission, you've got a great board and you're thinking through how to bring in dollars that can sustain you I always get really excited when some of the clients have already thought about some of that, but I love when they come with a five, 10 year plan, because that's, that's how you sustain what you're talking about. I mean, some, some nonprofits are like leaders that we've talked to are like, how do I just get like the first three months Mm. and we can help you actually take the first three months and turn it into the next five years. And then thinking through your 10 years after that. And I think that gets to a little bit what you're talking about and how to sustain it and, then um, potentially pass it on to future generations because there's some great nonprofits nationally that have continued 
for so long and they do incredible work internationally, nationally, in so many different spaces. So, so I would be, uh, uh, remiss if I didn't ask about the pandemic. Uh, we seem to be stumbling out of it, uh, hopefully, but, um, I mean, how has the pandemic affected, and I know it depends on the nonprofit. So some have done extraordinarily well, depending on their mission. Um, some have not. So what, what's the, I guess, what's been the common thread for those that have been successful navigating their way through it? Um, I will, I will start this. I would say they've been very adaptable. I mean, everybody was adaptable, but adaptability for a new nonprofit last year was key. Um, and one client that I that we're still engaged with and working with, um, they have a statewide scope and a small budget, and they were able to preserve that by everything suddenly went online. And so anything that was going to be travel related, any kind of event expense that was going to happen, um, both with time and with financial resources, was taken to Zoom. And that's a flat fee every month. Um, you promote it, you promote what you're doing on online. Um, you have a volunteer base that's helping to get that word out there, but you just adapt. And I think that they actually did more in 2020 than they would have if they were going to be doing in-person events and being across the state because they could do everything. Everybody did everything from home. So it was a good, they were probably my favorite example of how you can do more with less during a pandemic. So are they, you kind of, uh, anticipated my next question there, Brandy, or so are, are, is this something that, uh, is permanent change for, uh, uh, not just this nonprofit, but using this one as an example, I mean, are, are, what, what has happened in the pandemic that's going to create permanent change, um, uh, going forward in terms of the way nonprofits do their work? So I can say really quickly on the engagement side as well, and this actually translates back over a little bit in the electoral space too, but, you know, back in the day, the larger the event, the better it was. So if you think about uh, a luncheon that is dedicated to maybe a scholarship program or something like that, the numbers were, you need hundreds of people um, to do that. And in a big room, a big banquet room, everybody looks around, see who's there. Um and similarly in politics, you know, when you think about a big event, you know, the thousand person events, you know, we're always that's what the news loves. They like to show those. Mm-hmm. I really think that we might be in a place for the next couple of years, especially as the pandemic has shown that we might be doing smaller events. And what we may be looking for is maybe who's in the room, but also that we're socially distanced, that we're all wearing masks, that we're doing the things that we need to do um, to create the space. But I think we're going to see a lot smaller events going forward for the next maybe year or two. And I think that's going to affect everybody. Um, You know, how a campaign launches, how a nonprofit launches. Um, The concern is going to be more about the health of the people that are attending than showing just a huge level of momentum. And I, I find that to be a very interesting challenge um, with a lot of our clients, actually. And on a on a logistical side, purely logistical, I've had a few conversations with people um, across industries where 
there's just a willingness to do things online now that there wasn't a year ago. You know, you would, no one in early 2020 would get excited about attending an event online because you go to it in person and you did have this sort of model of everybody did things in person. And I've had some conversations with people where like you can do a lot more if you're on an online event, you know, you're not driving somewhere, you're not having to get downtown or be at a venue and just, you can attend more things that you are interested in because you don't have to be there in person, but you can still be supportive. So I think there's an interesting mindset that has flipped a little bit in the last year. Yeah. And from the nonprofit's point of view, it, it opens up the geography, obviously. I mean, they can, they can get someone from anywhere in the world uh, to an event that before they were looking at in their local area. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Right. So, um, I would love it if, and you don't have to use names, but I would love it, and I think our listeners would too, if you could share maybe a success story, uh, someone that your intervention has uh, really changed uh, their trajectory. It can be on the electoral side, the nonprofit side, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Love it if you'd share uh, a success story. Do you want to take that? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say one of the uh, most exciting and, and we're very sensitive about our clients and, and making sure that we uh, maintain some level of um, not confidentiality per se, but just um, respect for that. But sure. I would say the most exciting thing is, um, I guess it was about a year ago, we maybe two now, I'm, my timing is always off now with, with COVID and all that. Um, but about two years ago, we had a mutual friend and um, a fellow uh, political person who came to us with an idea on a nonprofit. Um, that nonprofit has now grown, um, had an incredible first year of success, did some great works around uh, voting rights and a few other things. Um, that organization now has a full-time staff person, um, has been doing a great job with their fundraising. They've um, continued the work that has been so important in Tennessee and um, they're off and running and we, um, you know, still talk to them. We're still helpful, um, but it's been exciting to see where the staff person has taken it and where it's, and I'm excited to see five years from now where it's going to go. And it's fun to be a part of that development stage of it. And, um, you know, you feel like you've contributed to the betterment of society. Doing something good every day is something I always try to do. And uh, so it's been exciting to see the development and the growth of that organization. And that's that's a key success story that I think I get excited about. Wow. And that comes through as you tell that story. That's awesome. Uh uh, Courtney, a great, great story. Um, well, the two of you are doing important work and, and, uh, and congratulations on that, the success you've had so far. Um, I want to get to the most important question, which is for those that have heard something here that makes them want to be in touch. And I'm sure someone has because of, of, of the great, uh, uh, work you're doing, uh, tell them how they can be in touch. Sure. So you can get in touch with us on our website. It's just brunswheelergroup.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter um, under our company name. 
And then you can reach us also by email. Um, and it's just brandy at brunswillergroup.com and Courtney at brunswillergroup.com. Terrific. We try to be very accessible to people, sometimes maybe too accessible. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's great. Uh, brandy Bruns and Courtney Wheeler, they are uh, partners in the Bruns Wheeler Group. Uh, uh, ladies, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. We enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, folks, just a quick reminder that if you want to find out more on National Business Radio, you can go to businessradiox.com, and uh, we're, we're part of the na- the Business Radio X national network. Uh, th- you can find the show on all the major podcast platforms, and what I would ask, and this is not about me, it's not about Business Radio X, it's about our, our guest. Uh such as Brandy and Courtney and the great work they do. Go find the show on your favorite podcast app and give it a five-star review. I'm boldly asking for that, not for me again, but for our great guests, because it helps people find the show and folks that may need the services of uh, business leaders like Brandy and Courtney and the other great guests that we have on the show. So if you could do that for us, we'd appreciate it. So for my guests, Brandy Bruns and Courtney Wheeler, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Nashville Business Radio.